Amen. Hey, we're going to be in a couple of different places this morning. Some of those you can turn to as you follow along. But uh, as we close out this chapter, and we have an opportunity today to look at what it means to be a body that serves, like, I just feel that it's important that we close out this chapter well. And I, and I think you can begin to kind of sense the importance of that when you think about the fact that, that our nine months grew to 20, right? Our nine months grew to 20, and, and really this isn't just a 20-month project. This is a conversation we started, you know, over four years ago about what it would look like to plan and what it would look like and what areas of our building need to be addressed. And as we kind of walked through as a body, as we had family meetings and, and we had, you know, varied ideas on, on what that needed to look like and, and, and what areas needed to be addressed. And you'll remember that we even had the idea for a while that we would continue to meet at, uh, at 6801 Wesley every week and construction could just go on around us and we'd be okay with that. And, and then ultimately we decided, no, it could go faster if we came here. Faster. <laughs> wow. I, I'd hate to see what slow looks like. And so, and so we came here and so we, we've been here and, and, and we've been, I, th- I think, on a pilgrimage of sorts. God just kind of refining uh, things in our hearts and refining the things that we said, man, this is a, a, a non-negotiable for me. Like, I have to have this. I have to have a soft place to sit. And we realize that that's not super important. And I have to have air that I can control. And, and you've been in here in the wintertime, recognize that's not super important. And we're going to have both of those things when we go back. And so that's, that's going to be great for some of you. But as we journey in the midst of kind of serving, and today we're going to look to answer three questions, really just kind of the who of service. So who are we serving how are we serving, and why are we serving? And as I begin to think through these and pray through these and really ask God, like, what would you have our hearts to look like? How would you have us to approach this and understand this? I was reminded of something that we studied uh, very early on in the process when we started looking at, at raising funds, and the question was asked, oh, who's going to pay for this? And we said, well, we're, we're going to pay for this. As church members, we're going to pay th- for this with our tithes and with our offerings and and there's this passage that I, that I came to in Exodus 33 that really just kind of stuck with me. Exodus 24 through 31, Moses goes up and he's on the mountain with God and God's giving him the law and he's recording all these things. And he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights having this uh, conversation with God. And, and the people down below begin to kind of look and they look and, and they begin to think, guys, he's not coming back. He let us here. He's not coming back. Uh, what do you think we should do? And, and for whatever reason, they decided the thing that they should do was to create an idol. So they make a golden calf, and they begin to worship that golden calf. So God sends Moses back down the mountain, and Moses comes to the people. And what we find is this really just kind of shift, this change of what God says to the people. In verse 34 of chapter 32, he says, But now go and lead the people to the place that I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day that I visit, I'll visit their sins upon them. So we begin to see this shift, this light shift, this change. Notice they still get to go where they wanted to go. They still get to go to the promised land. They still get to experience all the things that God has set before them, this land flowing with milk and honey. They still get to experience all the awesomeness before them. All the things that we're anticipating in their hearts. But it's changed. God's no longer going to be the one to lead them. Now he's going to send an angel to lead them. And again, he says it in in 33 and verse 3. He says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you. 
Go up. You can have it. You can have this land. You can have this dream. You can have this hope. And so a part of our body as we had this conversation of what this looks like, that I was absolutely convinced that we could raise the money, that we could build the building, that we could come back into it, that we could somehow survive our pilgrimage here or wherever we were to land. And we could do all these things and not honor God in the process. And so I was really burdened with this, with this understanding that, that we could render service to ourselves, that we could be blessing ourselves, that we'd be doing this to make a name for ourselves, that we'd be doing this to make it more comfortable for ourselves or make it look better for ourselves and miss out the whole time in serving God. And so this is what Moses is faced with. He has this stiff-necked, difficult people, and God says, look, I'm still going to give it to you. I'm just not going to go with you. So Moses responds, and his response hopefully echoes our heart. So he says to God in verse 15 of chapter 33, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Man, I hope that's your heartbeat. That the time we've been here and this time of preparation, that you've been so steadfastly focused on rendering service to God, that your heart is crying out and say, look, if, 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 you, if we're not ready, don't let us leave this place. If we're not ready, if we're not willing to submit to you, if we're not willing to serve you, don't let us leave this place. Make us stay. Frustrate our efforts. If you're not going to lead us from this place, don't let us go. Moses goes on, he says, because it's in your leading that we're made a distinct people. It's in your company and in your gathering and in your leadership that we are made yours. We can accomplish untold good in our community and not do it as serving to God. You see, as a Christian, all of our service should ultimately find its recipient in God. And so we can go out and we can clothe those who, who don't have adequate clothing. We can house and home the homeless, and we should. We can, we can bring equality to our community, and we should. We can feed the hungry, and we should. We can push back drugs, and we should. We can do untold good in our community, and we should do this. We should be kept up at night because of the disparity of all the things in our community. Every wrong should pain us because we recognize the gospel is the answer to that. And we have the gospel. We should do the good. We have to make sure we do it to the Lord. We don't want to just be a social club. We don't want to be just a bunch of people going out and bringing our conception of what is good and what is right. We want to be a group of people who are so burdened for the gospel of Jesus Christ that every good we do is rendered to the Lord. Amen? There's this great passage in Joshua 24. Joshua's coming to the end of his life, and he gathers all the people to himself, and he wants to make sure they understand whose service is rendered to. They're in the land. They're enjoying the fruits of the land. So Joshua begins to, to call them towards himself. And in verse 14, he says, Fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers who, who they served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And so he's communicating to him: you have to serve God. You can't serve another. Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers or if you'll serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
And so the people hear this, and you have to think that they thought, well, this is kind of an odd way for you to transition out. This is kind of an odd way for us to have here at the end of your life. But they respond, and they say, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And so they recount all the good things God has done to them. How he carried them out of Egypt, how they gave them a name, how he drove their enemies out in the land. So Joshua turns again, and he says to the people in verse 19, you're not able to serve the Lord. This is curious, right? So he's just told them to serve the Lord, and now he says, you're not, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He'll not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do harm and consume you after you have done good. So they say to Joshua, we understand who God is. We understand these things. No, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua comes back to them. He says, you need to understand this. You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord, so serve him. And they respond back and they say, we are witnesses. In essence, he said, look, are you committing to do this? And they say, yes, we are committing. He said, just so you understand, I hear you just saying that you're committing. They say, that's what we're saying. So serve him. Serve the God of Israel. Incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people say to Joseph, the Lord our God, we will serve in his voice. We will obey. Are you ready to serve the Lord? My fear is that for the last 20 20 months, we've been serving the building. We've had work weekend after work weekend. We've sought additional funds. We've been out there and we've sweat. We've had long conversations. We've had differences of opinion. I feel like, I told somebody this week, I said, I feel like at some point at the end of this, we all need like an epic group hug where we we lean in awkwardly long and we say, I forgive you. On the count of three, one, two, three, I forgive you. And then on the count of three, we say, yes, you are forgiven. But did you ever have the sense that we were serving anyone other than the Lord? Because that's been my hope. That's been my desire. That's been what we've pushed for. But as we come back, the tendency is going to be to serve the building or for people to come there that they may serve us because we've journeyed through this together. We can only ever serve the Lord. And so what I want to do today as we finish each one of these points is just to have a time where we can pray. So right now I'm going to ask you that if you just kind of pray with me and our prayer simply in this time is just going to be, Lord, help us to serve you and you alone. So would you bow your head with me as we pray? Father, I pray that that we would serve you and you alone. That you would make it so obvious, so clear when we seek to serve ourselves. Help us to be like this conversation Joshua had with Israel. They say, yes, we're committing. He says, okay, well then serve the Lord. Help us to love one another well enough when, when we're getting haughty or prideful or arrogant. Help us to see this building as a tool to serve you. God, help us to be a people of service. Burden our hearts for our community. Awaken our minds. Give light to our eyes to see need. And then move us from a recognition to action. Help us not just to see and offer commentary, but help us to see and offer ourselves as servants. Just got to pray that you'd help us to see you as the ultimate benefactor, recipient of our service, and none other.
We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So moving from the question of kind of who, we begin to respond and think of how. How do we serve? And so I think immediately when we, when we get into terms of how we serve, we recognize that, that how we serve says a lot about our relationship with Jesus. So ultimately, if you serve Jesus, if you serve the Lord thinking that somehow that enhances your salvation or God is more pleased with you, then, then I would tell you, I think you fundamentally misunderstand the gospel. God is fully pleased with you in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. It is the sacrifice of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection, and your belief in that, your faith tethered to God through Jesus that makes you whole and approved. Amen? Amen. But how we respond to God from that says a lot about our relationship to God. And I think there are some excuses of service. One of the reasons that people don't serve is because they say they have no time. You are the one who designates your time. We all have 24 hours. I would argue the same 24 hours. Some of us don't serve because we are poor time managers. You're bad at managing your time. You will find time to do the things you want. Recognize this. Some of your time needs to be spent serving the Lord. Not necessarily just serving this church, but serving the Lord. Some of us don't serve because we say we have no time. Some of us don't serve because we say we have no talent. And, and I've seen some of you, and that's true. But I want you to understand that that's not primarily a valid excuse. There are things that you're no good at. I recognize I can't dance, right? And so I'm not, true that. And so I'm not seeking to raise money by dancing. I could raise money by dancing, but you'd be paying to make me stop. And so but some of you, well, you have to recognize that in salvation, God has gifted you certain things. There are some things you are good at. And sometimes we don't need somebody who's good at something. We just need somebody who's there. Like we, we actually just need you to stand somewhere. And we could use you or sit somewhere or be somewhere. You have no time. You have no talent. And then someone else will do it. I was going to do it, but I really just think somebody else is probably better at this. And God's just really telling me that I should let somebody else do it. That is true sometimes. Some of you, you feel like the only answer you can give when we ask if you could serve is yes. Can I go now? And so you take up all the opportunities for service for others. But there are others who you're always waiting for somebody else to do it. You need to find a way to serve. And so let's think about the equipment of service. And I touched on this briefly on you talentless people. Recognize this that you have gifts and talents. In salvation, when you came to know Jesus, supernaturally, God has given you certain spiritual gifts, and these gifts that he's given you are to be used for the building up of the body. They're, they're to be used corporately. Now, I mean by that, they're not to be used to build you up and make you feel better about yourself, more engaged and more validated. They are to be used for the benefit of others, others in this church and others in the churches that he would call you to impact. And some of you have talents. You're not talentless uh, hucksters. Some of you actually are good at stuff. It's amazing. And God would have you to use your professional and, and, and hobby skills to impact his kingdom, to impact our community. We have lawyers and doctors, we have plumbers and electricians, we have handymen, we have people that are good at a whole host of things. Some of you are phenomenal conversationalists. 
You're just amazing at talking to people and helping them to feel good about themselves, and you can interject and weave the gospel in. And there's a need and a place for you to serve all over our community. You could see yourself serving in nursing homes and hospitals and walking in and just speaking to people who typically don't have somebody to come in and talk to them. We have gifts, we have talents, we have resources. You recognize, and I want you to understand this, God owns all of you. If you are a believer and follower in Jesus Christ, God owns all of you. He owns all of your time. He owns all of your possessions. He owns all of your wealth. And he has allowed you to be a steward of those things. So at the end of your life, you're going to give an account for how you used your time, how you leveraged it for the kingdom of God. At the end of your life, God's going to say to you, in some sense, how did you, <clears throat> how did you use your home? How did you use your money? How did you use your influence? And how did you leverage these things for the kingdom? We're building his kingdom, not ours. And so the question we ask of all of our resources is, how would you have me use these things? How would you have me use my intellect? How would you have me use my money? It's his money. He's allowing you to be a steward over it. And you will give a response to how you steward these things. These broadly are the equipment of our service. But there are certain characteristics of our service. I think God would have us to serve joyfully together and selflessly in service. Our God wants us to serve joyfully. Now, some of us serve begrudgingly. Some of you, I mean, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You're gathering junk out of the dungeon. You smile. You have a happy song in your heart, and I'm bitter towards you because you're so joyful, and, and I'm working on that. But if we look at Psalm 100, he says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. And look what he says about service, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serving the Lord is not drudgery. Serving the Lord should not be painful. We serve him with gladness. This is a, com a command clear as day that when we serve the Lord, we're to do it thankfully. On the one hand, we're thankful that he sent his son Jesus and all our services response to that. But on the other hand, it's making a decision to set our minds to enjoy service to God. Whether it's on the mission field or it's here in Greenville, Texas, we set our minds to be joyful and glad in the midst of service. Think about this. Think about serving tirelessly. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. This idea that everything we do can be leveraged for service for him. And there is no end to this. There is no end to this. Hebrews 10.24 speaks a word to the togetherness of service. It says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Have you ever thought that, that one of the aspects of service that you can render a body is thinking for other people to do? I know some of you have. But just think about this. He says, let us consider, let us put our minds together, consider how to stir one another up. How to stir one another up, not with gossip, not, not with hate, not with animosity, not with advancing an agenda, but how to stir one another up to love and good works. How would you stir one another up to love one another better? Man, I have a need that you can meet. This shows that you love me because you're meeting my need. And when we tell others of our need, when we point others in ways that they can serve, we are fulfilling the command for what it looks like to do service together. Let us consider, let us put our minds together and consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. My, one of my favorite passages in Philippians 2 teaches us what it looks like to serve selflessly. 
Paul asks a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, and we would say yes, any comfort from love, and we would say yes, any participation in the Spirit, we would say yes, any affection, any in sympathy, we would say, of course there is. He says, well, then complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do you see the unity that he describes there in the local body of Jesus? So what does that practically look like? Well, he tells us, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. He's ridding us of our hobby horses. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Part of your responsibility as a church member is to look into the person beside you and the person beside them, and begin to contemplate what would make Jesus more pronounced in their hearts. What would have a greater gospel impact in their hearts and in their lives? Is there something I'm doing that is an impediment to the gospel being unleashed in their lives? And if there is, am I willing to stop? We're going to stir one another up to love and good works. We're going to have to look around and be sensitive to the needs of others. And I tell you this as a person who struggles with sensitivity. It's a gospel command. It is an imperative and it is a characteristic of body life. This is why when we have interviews for membership, we begin that conversation or a part of that conversation is an apology. It's just to say, can we go on record of right now just apologizing? And they say, why would you want us to apologize? Why are you apologizing to us now? He said, because we're probably not going to offer it to you later. You're probably going to be hurt. You're going to be offended. We're not going to know it. We're not going to be able to apologize. And you're going to think we did it on purpose. And so we want to go ahead right now and just apologize. And when that thing happens, remember this apology. Come to us and give us another opportunity to say it out loud. But part of what Philippians 2 calls us to is this person who's offended looks at it and says, it's okay, it's not a big deal because it's not about me. It's not about my interests. It's not about my hobbies. It's not about my attitudes. It's about me leveraging all that God has given me to be impactful in somebody else's life because this is how the gospel is spread, by God burdening us for others. So we work joyfully, tirelessly, together, and selflessly. Do you join with me as we pray that God would make these things real for us? God, I pray that over the course of our service, the how of our service, that you would help these to be our characteristics, that you would help those excuses not to be found in our mouths or displayed in our lives. Help us to serve you well, that you would burden us for service. God, as we transition to the why of service, I pray that you would help us to begin to see and in, in your spirit to begin to apply and show us ways and practical ways that each of us can serve. We submit these things to you in your son's name. So we come to the why of service. We're going to talk about, and there are any number of whys to service, and you could really spend an entire day or week or series of, of, of sermons on the why of service, but I want to look at it in terms of two things. We want to serve because we are an obedient people who desire to glorify God. We are an obedient people who desire to glorify God. If you think obedience to God is something that you should do, Right? And I would say that, that most Christians, if you were to ask them, do you think you should be obedient to God? They would say yes. I mean, some of us would say no, but for the most part, we would say yes. Obedience is non-negotiable for the Christian. It is, we have to be obedient to God. 
But we have to say, did you know that to be obedient to God, that you need to be busy doing good works? And it's like, no, the gospel is opposed to works. No, the gospel sets you up and frees you to work. You're created and commissioned by God to serve the Lord. Titus 2, in verse 14, says that God has created for himself a people who are zealous for good works. Part of your DNA as a Christian is to be made as a person who is busy doing good works. And so you'll find that if you don't like serving, this says more about the potential of sin and a lack of God in your life. We need to change our perspective on who he is because he has made you to be a person zealous for good works. Ephesians 2 says this well. It describes our salvation, how this moves to works. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so notice that he goes in there. He says, you need to understand, you are saved. All is the grace and work of God. None of us in salvation did God say, oh, I'm so glad Justin was here. I was really getting tired of saving people that couldn't save themselves. But he came along, and he's a pretty solid guy, and he's done three quarters of the job himself. So I've really just got a quarter work of salvation to do in him. It's not he's not said this. He said salvation is all the work of God. It's all the grace of God. It is our faith tethered to him through Jesus. It is not the result of our works, our actions, or our preconditions. And he's done this so that no one can boast. And say, so look what a good one God, God got when he got me. God has made someone dead alive. He's found somebody in the dark and he's brought them to light. He's found somebody lost and he's directed them to the truth found in Jesus, who himself is the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship. God has made you, has formed you, has fashioned you in Christ Jesus for this purpose, good works. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this is how long they've been waiting on the shelf for you to pick up and do something with. That he created and prepared beforehand. In eternity past, God has set and established things for you to do prior to your salvation. He has prepared them so that you might walk in them. So if you look around and you're wondering, does God have anything for me to do? Oh, in salvation, God was preparing things for you to do. He's preparing people for you to talk to. He's preparing for, for homeless to be resettled by you. He's preparing for people without clothing to be clothed by you. He's preparing for the hungry to be fed by you. He's preparing for the thirsty to be given something to drink by you. He's prepared all of these things, and he asks you to walk in them, to be faithful to the way that you were created, to be faithful to exercise the things that he has given you. He asks us to walk in them. And then lastly, we recognize that our service to God, the why, our service to God should be out of a desire to glorify God, 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says this well. It says, as each has received a gift, and so he's talking about spiritual gifts, use it to serve one another as, as stewards of God's very grace. And so in essence, God has given different gifts to different people so that we could use them to serve each other. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves, listen to this, by the strength that God supplies. Our service is to God fueled by God and through his son Jesus, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus. 
To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our service can never be so that we can get a better name for ourselves. Our service should never be so that people look at us and say, do you know that church over there? Oh, they're just the most amazing group of people. That can never be our desire. We can't do a whole lot about how people respond, but it can never be our desire. Our hope, our desire is that God would be glorified in our service. Man, we've said this over and over and over again. Our hope and desire is that 6801 would be a great tool in the bag used for the ministry to God's glory. Amen? We want it to be a useful and valuable tool for the impact of his kingdom, both here in Greenville and beyond, so that we could raise up men and women and send them out to the mission field, both here and abroad. We want it to be a useful tool for ministry. We want to glorify God in our service. And so we begin to understand that the who of service is always God, that the how of service is, is spelled out a variety of different ways, but the why of service is so that we could be obedient and so that we could glorify God. And I want you to imagine for me, with just, for just a moment as we begin to close out, imagine in three or four months we're back in the building, okay? It's great. I mean, the pews are super soft. There's always paper towel in the bathrooms. Check this. And soap. And soap. The toilets are like full adult height. It's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. And, and so kind of beyond all these things, begin to recognize that like something's different in our community. And, and, and we can only ever peg it on one thing. It's just the spirit of God has been absolutely unleashed in our community. Right? And so we're just absolutely amazed. And, and we hear stories week after week of, uh, of this man who came to faith. And, and we'd say, oh my goodness, I can't believe he came to faith in Jesus. I never thought that. And say, let me top that. Let me tell you about this woman who came to faith in Jesus. And, and we're just we're crying. We're saying, this is a person I prayed for for years. And, 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 and we see the sick restored to full health. And we say, this is so amazing. We see the Spirit of God and we see church attendance moving and we see poverty completely moving to be, become eradicated in our community. And the homeless are finding warm and safe places to sleep at night. And we see our community completely transformed. And we see men and women coming to faith in record numbers. We're just overwhelmed. And all of this happens in another church. And none of it happens at Ridgecrest. We don't see a marked improvement in attendance. We don't see a drastic increase in baptisms or salvations. Are we content to serve him? If nothing changes for us, if it's just status quo for us, we're faithfully serving him, but he doesn't let the benefit happen in this body. Are we frustrated? Do we look at it and say, are you nuts, God? We've sacrificed so much. We've given so much of our time. I like the pastor's up there, and he's talking about service, and that's, that's me. What's wrong with you? If our service is going to be rendered to God, if it's going to be done in a way that honors God, and if our primary preoccupation is that he would be glorified in our service, then he gets to pick where his benefits rest. Our efforts don't bind God to bring blessings our way. 
our efforts are a response to God's gracious initiative in us. Amen? My prayer for us is that we would never grow weary in service and that we would always find the greatest response of our service is, is rending glory and honor to him so that we would be people who have our hearts owned by him. I can tell you, man, I want to see people come to faith in this church. I want to see this, this church go on and do amazing things for the gospel, and I'd love to see him let us be excited by seeing those things happen at Ridgecrest. But my heart for our community and my desire for God's glory to be seen in it is so much greater than my desire to see good things happen in our midst. So that's going to be my prayer for us right now. And I want to ask that you would pray that with me. So we're going to pray again for the churches of our community. We're going to pray again for his spirit to be unleashed. And we're going to pray again that he keeps our hearts close to him. If you pray with me this last time. Father, you, are, you alone are worthy of all praise. You alone are worthy of our service. And God, I confess that there's likely to be some frustration, some disappointment if we're to serve and not, not see results, if we're to do this and not see the benefit, we recognize that's not why we've done any of this. That's not why we've sought to be faithful to you. So God, I pray that you would breed encouragement in our hearts, that your word, what it says in, in, in Ephesians, that you prepare these good works, you prepare these works beforehand that we might walk in them. Your word there in First Peter about what it looks like to glorify you through Christ as you give us strength to serve, that these could be our heartbeats. So God, we love the other churches of our community. And we rejoice in their success and we weep in their sorrow, in their difficulties. We pray for their pastors. I'm thankful for the friendship that I enjoy with some of them. Father, I pray that you would give friends to those pastors. You would give them confidants. That you would surround them, that their people would pray for them. Father, I pray that we would see healthy churches, that we would see as we work together in For the City and Care Portal and other things, that we would see darkness push back. An eternal impact made the, through the collaborative effort of your church working together here in Greenville, Texas. Father, would you hold our hearts? Would you correct us when we need correction? Would you keep us tethered to you? I thank you for the time you've led us in this place, the 20 months that we've had to sojourn here. I thank you for what you've done in our hearts. And I thank you for the great work you're going to do. God, would you set your spirit free? Would you visit our homes, the homes of our community? that we would see salvation be visited upon the lost, the weary, the broken. Father, we thank you and praise you. And we submit these things to you in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.